Man, I, I uh, <laughs> forgive me. Uh, I, I was brought to worship as Katie's son joined her up on stage because <laughs> the words that rushed over me are the words that Jesus said, <laughs> right? Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them for such is the kingdom of God, right? I, I never, I never want to pretend. I, I don't want to play church. I want to come to this space and gather as saints under the text and under the authority of God's word and then go live this thing out in our Monday to Saturday. I never want to play this thing. And so I don't want to be so polished that that we don't have space and room for whatever God might be doing in our hearts, even when it's not as polished or perfect as we might have prepared. So journey continues. And, and, And I'm excited for Advent this coming season uh, next Sunday, uh, we enter Advent season, and, and it is the change in perspective that changed everything. Uh, sometimes we get so uh, caught up in the promise of the season, and, uh, and yet the loads of laundry and dishes and the holiday ham that might be overdone or, or the, the out-of-town guests that overstay their welcome help <laughs> causes us to lose sight. Maybe the ugly sweater that doesn't fit quite as nicely as it used to. Uh, whatever it might be, h- how do we continue to reorient our lives around the thing that changed human history? And, and so uh, the arrival, the coming of our Savior is what we get to celebrate this Advent season. And, and today uh, we are wrapping up the first movement in Luke. We, we've, divide, we've divided Luke into five movements. And, and we've talked about the entrance of the king. And, and we are wrapping that up today in the temptations. And then in the spring, we'll move forward into the teaching. And then Jesus will turn his eyes towards Jerusalem called the journey of the king. And then we'll at some point look at the, uh, the crucifixion. And yet, the juxtaposition of the crucifixion and the crown of thorns, and yet, Jesus declaring victory over death, the victory of the king, and then we get to walk as, uh, as the Holy Spirit walks with people, and we experience the reign of the king. And so, this morning, we are wrapping up that final part of the entrance of the king, the birth narrative, and, and Jesus uh, being introduced, and and this morning we're going to encounter the temptations. And, and maybe a familiar story for some of you guys. Um, but what I hope we see, if we can shift our perspective, sometimes in, in Western evangelical world, uh, we sometimes think these things are uh, written to us. Uh, they're not written to us, but they are written for us. And so we're trying to understand what is Luke writing to his readers that then impacts our life. And I think what Luke is doing this morning, though we're going to spend some time on what it means and where we battle temptation, there's actually something far more profound going on. It's Jesus conquering temptations. It is about Jesus being the guy. And so let's read the text. We're in Luke 4. And then, uh, and then we, will, we will dive in together. So Luke 4. 1 to 13. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry, and the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. 
And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If then you will worship me, it will be yours. And Jesus said and answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only. Shall you serve? And he took him to Jerusalem and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hand they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed him until an opportune time. I think we often maybe hear the temptations of Christ and we instantaneously make it about us. I think Luke is doing something far more beautiful. And so as we get into that, I just want to have maybe the red herring thrown out or the, maybe the thing that's, that just could be a distraction. One thing, and maybe an opportunity to discuss in your life groups if you're meeting or with people that you trust, uh, Jesus is God, right? And, and, and God can't be tempted. So was Jesus tempted? Was he really tempted? And, and there is this beautiful mystery that, that we continue to see is this incarnation, Jesus being fully God, fully man. So try and wrap your head around that at a later time. Maybe I just distracted everybody in the room by even raising it as a possibility. But I love the mystery that's, that's within the Christian faith, that sometimes people come and they, and they observe Christianity and they see it as, oh, it's just a, a list of rules and behaviors, Ten Commandments. Instead, there's this incredible mystery wrapped up in, in, the, in the Christian faith. And so here's where we are headed. What I love, C.S. Lewis captures this beautifully. No man knows how bad he is till he has tried very hard to be good. A silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find the strength of the German army by fighting against it, not by giving in. You find the strength of a wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. A man who gives in to the temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would be have been like for an hour later. That is why bad people in one sense know very little about badness. They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is the only one who knows to the full what temptation really means. The only complete realness. Realist. Here's where we're headed this morning. Jesus is the guy. He is the last Adam who overcomes the temptations of the devil. And this reality leads us to look to him as our representative. It leads us to look to him as our sacrifice and, and an example in life. But I want us to see the primary beauty in what it means that Jesus is our representative. So pray with me and we will... We will try and hear from, from the Dr. Luke uh, about this guy, Jesus. Oh, God, you're way too good. Thank you for your word and the privilege it is to, to hear from you, uh, to anchor our lives in a reality, an origin story, a, a reality that we can find life in your name. And so help us here. 
uh, something that is common to man, temptation, and yet how you, as our representative, conquered and defeated that, and we can find life as, as, uh, as, uh, as your sons and daughters. Thank you, Jesus. Always for your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen. So, so here's, here's where we're going. We rely on Jesus to accomplish what the first Adam was unable to do. Jesus, then, in the temptations, overcomes them and foreshadows an ultimate disarming and defeat of the devil. And we look to Jesus, then, in our life as the example to overcome the temptations we face day to day. And so Luke starts with this reality. We rely on Jesus to accomplish what the first Adam was unable to do. And Jesus, full of the Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted. Well, what's the essence of temptation? When something is tempting you, what is that? I love this, this definition from John Piper. He says, it is always, in one way or another, the deception that something is more to be desired than God in his ways. What, what is temptation? It, it shifts it from a good or bad category, and it begins saying it's, it's something that is promising, deceiving us, something that is claiming more happiness than it can actually deliver. No one is tempted from duty, right? It's, no one sins out of duty. They sin because Satan, the marketing genius, has offered something that he thinks will clamor for the affections of our heart. It is a lure that is drawing and enticing the deceiving, and it's to be desired more than God in his ways. And, and hear me say, what's been settling in my heart more and more, it's not always the licentious things in life, the evil things in life, the bad things in life. Sometimes it's the good things in life that actually tempt me away and promise more than they can deliver. I think of apple, plic, apple, apple pie and Netflix. I think of, if you're anything like me, the constant barrage of the scroll or the streaming world. Man, I, I, I'm just inundated with this stuff. Uh, just sitting still is so hard because of the temptation to believe that just, just a quick fix of whatever scroll, just one more episode is going to deliver something to my soul that it actually can't. It is always in one way or another the deception that something is going to bring more happiness than God in his ways. And does it for a minute. It does. But it doesn't last. There's the essence of temptation. And I love that then he's tempted by the devil. The accuser is how Luke calls him. Tempted by the devil. And some of us might be in the room going, David, we don't believe in that spiritual stuff anymore. I mean, we understand how mental illness works. We understand how the challenges in this life work. Instead, we're deeply anchored in a conviction that there is a spiritual enemy, that it is a spiritual world. And sometimes my fear for those that, that claim to follow Christ, we're secular humanists with a spiritist vocabulary. We, we use language that would say we believe <laughs> there's this spiritual enemy, but the way we live our lives feels distant from that reality. Is it a spiritual attack as I start to have this endless scroll on my phone? There's something afflicting my soul that is promising something this thing can't actually deliver, right? And so we continue. How long has that been going on? The first Adam and Eve were tempted. And in the very beginning, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The first Adam failed, and we needed a second Adam to restore our relationship with God. Jesus now steps on the scene, and Luke is trying to help us see 
do you understand who this guy is and what he's come to do? And being tempted by the devil, how did he prepare himself? He was full of the Spirit, led by the Spirit for 40 days for an extended period of time, and he ate nothing during those days. You want to go on a rabbit trail and just think about spiritual disciplines for your life, maybe spend some time again discussing this. But we are moving on to this question. Why the order? Why does Luke put the temptations of Jesus after the genealogy and baptism? Why does he do that? I mean, it just seems strange, a strange order. What's what's he trying to accomplish? They're not just independent stories. Instead, there's this beautiful thing that Luke is telling us. The baptism is where Jesus is announced as the Son of God. The genealogy of Jesus is traced all the way back to Adam, where Adam is referred to as the Son of God. And the temptations are where Jesus is assaulted by the devil as the Son of God. And so there's this immediate correlation we should be seeing. It should be jumping off the page at us. Who is this guy? Because Adam was the son of God, the head of humanity, and what happened when he was tempted? Stinkin' failed. Stinkin' failed, yes, gave in. Now we're seeing Jesus, the second Adam, propped up, virgin-born, divine son, new humanity now is going to be born through him, And Jesus was tempted, but did not fail, and defeats the devil. That's what we're going to see, that we rely on him. And then there's another layer in here, and this this was newer for me. I went back and wrestled with this. Again, it's written for us, not to us, right? So he returned from the Jordan and was led, there's an obedience factor, into the wilderness for 40 days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And we hear about a stone becoming bread. Does that spark anything in your guys' minds? It it didn't necessarily for me until I was reading a little bit more and I went, man, you you know who that is? (laughs) Do you guys remember a story where the Israelites were out of captivity, and then in order to survive, what did God do? He put, he put this manna, what is it? This bread-like thing scattered on the ground. How, how long did they have to consume that manna? One day, <laughs> one day, there's this deep trust and obedience that God will provide our day-to-day needs And yet, is there a temptation that what if I just store a little bit more? How do you think the Israelites did in that journey of temptation? Did they all pass that test? And so now, not only do we see Jesus as the second Adam, he's also the guy the Israelites are hearing going, yeah, we screwed up. Not just Jesus and Adam, Jesus and the Israelites. Where the Israelites failed, Jesus is now going to succeed and overcome the temptation. The wilderness, obedience, hunger and bread, the number 40 and the water. This imagery is just jumping off the page. Who is this guy, Jesus? And so John says, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So, so why the order? He's our representative. 
this guy is now going to represent me. So it's now no longer me overcoming temptation exclusively. Where do you go? Where do you go when you're tempted? Sometimes our our place is, I'm just going to do more and try harder. I'm just going to grin and bear it and overcome this. Instead, Luke is encouraging us, I think, and the call, we actually flee to Jesus as our strategy for overcoming temptation. He's our representative, and it's no longer me trying to overcome this stuff on my own. Instead, I run and go, there's nothing I can do. I mean, it begins to shift our mentality of who is this king. And so we rely. We rely on Jesus to accomplish what the first Adam and what we are unable to do. And then Luke walks us through the three temptations where we see Jesus overcoming these as a foreshadowing to the ultimate disarming and defeat. Because Luke's going to do something different than the way Matthew records it. That's why I put the word foreshadow. (laughs) It's like I put these words here meaningfully. Do you guys believe that? You're like, why do you choose the words you do, David? Well, sometimes I feel like it's in the text and try to come up with a word. Anyway, here's, here's the three temptations. The first one. And when they were ended... He was hungry, and the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God. I mean, that is the question that people are asking for centuries. Is Jesus really who he claimed to be? If you're sitting here and you're wondering, I've never fully wrestled with, is Jesus the guy? I've heard other perspectives on world religions and life. Is is Jesus really the Son of God? Luke is trying to confirm through his story, this is the guy. If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And this is coming from Deuteronomy 8. Jesus is drawing us back to this story that is being written all the way back. Deuteronomy 8, verse 3 and 4. He says, That might make you the man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Luke's trying to tie this story to say this is our representative, the guy that hasn't failed like Israel did and like Adam did. The second temptation, and the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. We see that first temptation of provision, and then this second one around the concept of power. (laughs) Tempting the Son of Man to drift off his missional course and take the easy way out. (laughs) And then what does he say? And Jesus answered him, Deuteronomy 6, verse 13, "'You shall worship the Lord your God and him only.'" shall you serve. Where Israel failed, Jesus continues to be the representative battling and overcoming and foreshadowing. Here's where the foreshadowing comes from. And he took him up to Jerusalem. In Matthew, Matthew builds to the power and dominion and kingdom. He goes, bread, Jerusalem, kingdom. Luke flips kingdom and Jerusalem. We're asking why? Why does Luke switch? Because in the text, it seems more obvious. Verse 16 would come come in his order in Deuteronomy 6, 16. 
It comes after verse 13 in Deuteronomy. Why is Luke flipping Jerusalem and kingdom? We keep going. And he took him up to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, the first temptation and the third, questioning the reality of who this guy is. If you're really this guy, and now he frames it positive, protect yourself. If you turn to Luke 9.51, and we're going to get there probably summer 2023. <laughs> Luke 9.51, what's it say? I can wait. <laughs> what, what's it say in Luke 9.51? Ah, he turns his face towards Jerusalem. Why? Because he's come ultimately for the purpose of dying for the humanity, for humanity, to reconcile humanity to God. Luke is building now in the third temptation to show and foreshadow the ultimate disarming of the devil in Jesus' death and resurrection. He's building that now in his gospel so that as this thing continues to unfold, we go, this is the guy. He, he, he came in a humble way to endure suffering. And if we follow him, that's what we're inviting our lives to as well. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you. What's the temptation? Safety and security. Are you tempted ever with safety and security? Oh, if I could just come off this, this whole joy and suffering thing. You mean, oh, you mean suffering's a part of God's plan as we endure and move faithfully in following Him? feels overrated. What if I just took an easier route? Is that possible, Jesus? If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. The test is what? To take Jesus off this mission to die for the sins of the world. He is our representative. He's the guy that can stand in our place and do what we were unable to do. And yet there's a temptation. Oh, is there an easier way? Here's how the other gospel writers and the author of Hebrews records that process. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he would become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation, to, to, to make a sacrifice for the sins of the people. For because he himself had suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. For provision. God, is there going to be manna on the ground tomorrow? Because I'm just not sure. For power. 
oh, if I just can coerce and manipulate people to bend them to my will, then it's going to be better. <laughs> or the directionality for protection. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So then as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. Even so, through one act, Paul says, in the act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life for all men. For as though one man's disobedience... The many were made sinners through Adam, <laughs> even so. You're like, but I didn't vote for Adam to be my representative. Sucks to be us, right? This is just the journey of life. <laughs> even so, through the obedience of the one, many will be made righteous. Life with Christ, our representative, that he actually has conquered sin and death. So what does that mean? What does a victory over temptation mean for you uh, just sitting and reflecting in that this week, my mind can't go to, uh, I just imagine the hurt and brokenness that, that's in a room our size uh, and the pain that, that, that we are all walking in with and the temptations that are afflicting us. And, and then I go to another layer, those on my pray watch list that, that might not have an anchor for their life for where they run to. I'm asking us, desperately flee to Christ. <laughs> and there's people that I long for on my pray watch list that I'm praying with desperate dependence that they would come to know Christ and become curious because of their interaction with us as everyday missionaries. As we point them to Jesus as their representative as well. So we rely on Jesus to accomplish what the first Adam was unable to do. And we believe Jesus overcomes temptations and foreshadows the ultimate disarming and defeat of the devil. Because just take a guess what we're going to experience in Luke. This person has a demon cast out of her. That person has a demon cast out of them. That person has a lot of demons cast out of them. And you're just going to see Jesus relentlessly moving forward to the ultimate disarming of the devil, conquering sin and death. And so we look to Jesus to overcome the temptations we face in our day today as the example for our life. And Jesus answered him and said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed until an opportune time. And so I look at our life. What's the relationship between temptation and our journey of, of growth? What, what's that correlation in our day-to-day -day as, as we go through this thing? Here was, the, here was the definition earlier. It is always in one way or another the deception that something is more to be desired than God and his ways. Temptation is the allure of things in this life that offer more than they can actually deliver, and therefore the prayer for deliverance is that we would not fall for that deception, but always taste and know that God and his ways are to be desired above all others. So, so how, how does temptation and ongoing spiritual transformation relate? It, it is a fight, to be sure, but it's no longer a fight Oh, do more, try harder. I just feel shame and guilt that I'm just not doing enough. Instead, it actually becomes this fight for more happiness in Christ, <laughs> a fight for more joy in him above anything else this life has to offer. And then when I'm scrolling like a knucklehead going, oh yeah, I wonder what Instagram has to offer me today. Ah, uh, you know what? Maybe just one more episode of Nailed It. You know, that next episode of Nailed It, it's really going to deliver this time. But, but it can't. <laughs> And so, here's the encouragement. We flee to Jesus. We look to Jesus when we encounter temptation as our help in all circumstances. 
Here's, here's how the author of Hebrews says it. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, who has felt the full weight unlike anybody else in human history. <laughs> and he identifies and sits and meets us in our pain in those moments where it just feels like we can't take anymore. <laughs> so why should we keep fighting? You guys have seen this quote before, uh, but, but for me it felt appropriate. It comes from C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, or Weight of Glory, sorry. Indeed, if we consider the unblemishing promises of the reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, why keep fighting? <laughs> why do I wake up another day? It just feels like I'm, I'm just getting beat up another day. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex in ambition, money, sex, and power when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far, we are far too easily pleased. People around our culture chasing their identity and their human sexuality. People chasing more success and working more hours at their job, feeling like another 10 hours is going to fill that emptiness in my soul. Uh, the temptations are all around us clamoring for our attention. That entertainment and scroll is going to fill the need in our heart. Instead, there is this pursuit of fighting for our joy. And so here's the encouragement. What, where, where would that look like? What would that look like in our Monday to Saturday this week? Uh, I, I want to phrase it this way. Where would you like to most experience Jesus' mercy and grace? Where would your life be more filled as you fight for your joy? Where's that area where you would love to see more of Jesus' mercy and grace flood your heart as you flee to him? And if you feel like, man, your heart is so full and you can't imagine anymore, uh, I want to invite Aaron and Ryan Horsberger up. And, uh, and I'd love them to catch us up uh, on life since the last time we heard from them. But who needs to hear of Jesus, our representative, from, from an everyday missionary? So, Ryan and Aaron, could you introduce us and, yes. and who, who, so who we have up here? Yes, so I am Aaron, and this is Ryan. And this is three of our five kids, Clayton, Carter's the next oldest, and Lana, and then we have Cooper and Liam downstairs. And we just wanted to share a little bit for our... For a long time, Ryan and I have had a dream to travel abroad and like take our faith further than Stoughton, Oregon area. And that's something we've thought about and desired to do for a very long time. And over the last three and a half years, we have thought about that more intentionally. And there has been some really hard doors that have shut um, I want to just say a couple of those. Like a lot of you have known us for the last three and a half years. Um, I lost vision in both of my eyes, and I've had eight different eye surgeries, and I can see now, which praise God. I turned 40, did a jumping jack, and ruptured my ACL. <laughs> but I can walk intentionally now. I, my brother got sick, and he passed. And there was healing in that relationship before he passed. There was a huge hurricane where we wanted to go um, that prevented 
us from even thinking of going there. And in those last three and a half years, these doors shut this dream that Ryan and I had. But that didn't stop our journey. We have had the last three and a half years with you. And to love you, to know you, to grow with you, to be encouraged by you. You guys have brought us meals and sent us cards and loved us when, honestly, the battles and those doors shut brought me to really ugly spots of feeling like, what is our purpose? This is so weird. I thought this is what you wanted from us, God. Anxiety levels went really, really high. Last May, Ryan had the opportunity to teach on a Sunday morning, and he shared that we thought those steps were getting closer to us leaving, and again, a door was shut very clearly for us. And tomorrow we leave. <laughs> Crazy. And so we're, we're excited, we're nervous, we're wondering what we've forgotten to pack. And so we're going to spend the next six months in Central America, um, and we're going to be you know, serving alongside long-term missionaries. We're going to be exploring, and we're going to be, be planted in one spot, building friendships, uh, pointing people to Jesus, just being an everyday missionary like we talk about here. And it is... It is such the deep desire of our hearts that this time would be impactful. We don't necessarily need to see the impact, but just that it would be meaningful and impactful, that actually our family's lives would be impactful, and that your lives, your family's lives, would be impactful. And, and, and there, so we're excited, but there's some obstacles, right? So we speak Spanish, but we're not fluent. Totally different culture. We, we don't have a ton of relationships there. And we were just thinking, man, if, if, if only there were a place that you could go where you already know the language. If there were a place that you could go where, where you're connected to the culture, you know the culture. If there were a place you could go where you have existing relationships that would just make things so much easier, man, that would be the place to be a missionary. That would be so amazing because, because somebody from Denmark coming to Madison as a missionary, man, they have to face all of those obstacles, you guys are perfectly positioned, right? Nobody has your relationships, your life experience, your gifting. And, and, and so when we talk about having an everyday meeting with God, my encouragement to you guys would just be to ask God, God, where are you leading me today? How, how, can, how can I be an everyday missionary? And, and, and so... Um, Man, we're excited to go, and I want you guys to partner with us. And here's how you can partner with us. You guys, for the next six months, be missionaries, right where you are. And maybe you feel excited, maybe you feel nervous, maybe you feel scared, us too. I'm going to pray for us. And just like we expect our lives to be changed, we expect your lives to be changed in this next six months too. And so when I'm praying, if you just want to bow your heads and, and open your mind to what God is working in your lives, um, don't be thinking about what you have to do next after you leave church or what song we're going to sing, but just open your mind to Christ. Father, we come to you. We come to you as children 
and your children, Lord. We asked, Father, that we understand the love that you have for us. And that love overpours through us, Father, in ways where we can't help but love others. Lord, I know we are all going through so much. And there are so many different things that prevent us from taking steps. Lord, we have our battles. We have our struggles. We have our addiction. We have our health issues. We have abuse. We have hurt. But we have you. We have you. Lord, you are stronger. You are powerful. You are fighting our battles. Lord, in these moments, in these times to come, Father, we're asking for your strength to fuel us and for us to be brave enough to take steps to trust you, Lord, in ways that we're scared, we're, we're worried. We're not sure if we know the right language. We're not sure if we can talk to our coworkers, our friends, the people in places that we go. We're not sure if we can talk to them about you and we're scared. Lord, can you give us the strength to keep you on the throne, hmm. to live a life that shows honor to you, Lord? Can you give us the strength to take this time to intentionally live our lives, to honor you, to be missionaries, to our family, to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to everyone that we see, Lord, can they see your love? When we feel weak and broken, we are still worthy. We are beautiful in you. Hmm. Lord, let us be a community of believers that support and love each other. Hmm. When we lose our vision, we can't walk. When we're afraid, let us link arms and love each other in the spots where, Lord, we feel exhausted. Hmm. Lord, I thank you for this body, and I thank you for the call that you've given us to be everyday missionaries. Hmm. No matter where we are, we're yours. We're yours, Jesus. Amen.